Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Dad Nobody Wants to Listen to You About New York podcast. And this week I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects and one that I should be quite a, an expert in having worked as a hotel manager in New York for many years, over many years. And it's all about tourism. Now, as you're a regular listener to my podcast, you'll know that most of my podcasts discuss a feature of New York that I find particularly interesting and something that I've got a first-hand knowledge of. When it comes to tourism, that's been my, my job. Uh, I've been doing that since 1980. And I worked in New York, first of all, in 1987. And during that time, I, I learned a whole different aspect of tourism from being a person supplying the hotel bedrooms in the town. And over the years, I've come back and gone and seen different aspects of the hotel industry, not only in New York, but in London, in Asia, in Germany, uh, in Switzerland. And I, I've seen a different perspective. But what really interests me is New York. And New York really is still the number one tourist destination in the world. And I want to know why that is. Because on the face of it, it's big, it's dirty, it's expensive, and some people would say a rip-off. But millions of people still want to see it every year. I'd like to learn a little bit more about the history of tourism in New York City. And also, to give you at the end of this, this podcast, some advice about some of the rip-offs that you're going to find. Because obviously... My podcast wouldn't be my podcast if Dad didn't warn you about some of the things that you may not want to hear. Just to put everything into context and to give you an idea about how much the tourism business is worth, in the United States in 2022, it was worth $135.2 billion, of which $52 billion was spent in New York City. The next comparable was Spain at 72 billion and the United Kingdom number three at 68 billion. New York City is bringing in more billions than the entire length and breadth of France. New York City offers over 124,000 hotel bedrooms. Put that into perspective, where I'm living in Cologne, a big city in Germany, we have 34,000 and in London, 109,000 hotel rooms. In New York, $7.5 billion is raked in in state and local tax revenues from tourists. In 2022, it was estimated that New York City had 56.7 million visitors. Again, put that into perspective, London had 16 million visitors. These are enormous sums. But where did it all start from? Well, mass tourism in New York City is a comparatively new thing. But New York City started really, as we know it, 9,000 years ago. And it was a place that had original inhabitants that depended on large game. 3,000 years ago, the then inhabitants of what would become New York City, until the Europeans came later, were wandering around with their bows and arrows and using slash and berm farming techniques. And this was a very fertile land for people to live in. Come about 1613, and the Dutch established a trading post on the western shore of Manhattan Island. Um, a guy called Juan Rodriguez was the first non-native to live there. 
and in 1623 it became a very commercially based part of the Dutch West India Company and they built this place called Fort Amsterdam. You can still see the present day site um, which is the US Customs House on Bowling Green. Um, that's the place that you go to if you want to take the Staten Island Ferry. Over a period of time, the fort became extremely successful. More and more people came to live there and it became a very important trading point. Uh, and during the 17th century, loads of immigrants started coming, such as Spanish Jews and Africans and many of slaves, obviously, for the Europeans. And New York became an obvious location eventually for a metropolitan hub. But to be a tourist, of course, in those days was almost impossible. The only way to get to New York was a very dangerous journey across the Atlantic. And most people also couldn't afford that at all. The other people coming to New York obviously didn't have much choice and were probably constricted. So really, it wasn't until about the 19th century that people would start coming to New York as tourists on steamships. And really, those steamships had very nice accommodation, but it wasn't very nice once they'd actually arrived in New York. I mean, there wasn't such a thing as luxury travel in those times. So most of the people who were coming over would not really come for a holiday, as tourists do now. They would come because they probably had business to do there. In about 1837, there was a financial panic in New York, and tourists played a very important role in keeping those hotels filled and also the theatres and the museums such as they were from closing. Those early tourists would depend on guidebooks written by people like uh, Blunt and Edmund and Samuel Mitchell. And these guides would tell people about various civil and cultural things to do um, such as where the churches were or public reading rooms and where various waterway transit systems were, and it also included sketches of early Manhattan. These were little books that uh, were designed to fit neatly in a man's pocket. But ostensibly, most people still were pretty much put off going because of the amount of crime and the slums in New York. There was a lot of grand architecture. Um, as many as 150 churches were in existence in about 1837, uh, and then there was this very uh, funny population of what were called dandies in the city. Uh, and there were about 3,000 of these. <laughs> and they were characterized um, as being sort of green dandies and in fanciful garbs. And they were described generally as jobless airheads whose ogling behavior alienate the opposite sex. Uh, and they were divided into three classes of chain dandies, switch dandies and guzzling glass dandies. Well, obviously the dandies encouraged people to come because the population in New York went up from about 515,000 people in 1850 to 815,000 in the following decade. But, you know, attractions weren't quite what they are now. I mean, if you want to go and have a great view, you go to visit the Empire State Building or the Edge or one of the many viewing platforms. But back in those days, the best thing you could do was to go to the Ladding Observatory. And this tower was about 300 feet above the ground. And it had a spire and a flagpole, and it added another 50 feet in height. But people could also take a winding staircase or even a steam-operated lift to the top. 
and in that place you could have refreshments and ice creams and it must have been quite an amazing attraction in those days. There were attractions such as shooting, things that you certainly couldn't do in New York now, but you could go shooting in those days and there were a lot of gyms that were beginning to get opened as well. This was a place for ladies to get fine wigs and hair products imported from France and some of these things turned into tourist traps back then. And there were diamond dealers, watch stores. So most of the guides of the late 19th century focused on architecture, most of which has since been demolished now. But there was advertised as being virtually zero crime. And sometimes it's even romanticized as a great period of American history. But what was interesting about this particular period is that as tastes changed and the old towers burnt down and the old buildings were demolished, new buildings such as Penn Station were built. And these gave visitors to New York a wonderful arrival, a tremendous arrival experience that gave people the feeling that they were living the high life. The beautiful architecture of the old Penn Station must have greeted people with all the artistry and royalty that they would have got had they gone somewhere in Italy. And it made people feel that they were going to have great expectations for this city. By the 1930s, the Art Deco Hotel New Yorker had opened. This was very famous because a lot of stars stayed there. Um, Nikola Tesla stayed there for 10 years. Fidel Castro was there. It had all sorts of records at the time, such as its own coal-fired steam boiler and generators, and it could produce huge amounts of electric power, making it actually the largest private power plant in the United States at that time. The Waldorf Astoria opened soon after, and up until 1963, it was the world's tallest hotel. It was one of the most prestigious hotels in the world. The original building was eventually demolished to make way for the Empire State Building. But another hotel built nearly on the same land became also extremely famous. And it had notorious guests such as Buffalo Bill, Prince Henry of Prussia, and VIPs such as John Wayne and Charlie Chaplin. Of course, people began to realize that there was an awful lot of money to be made from people who could potentially be considered dumb tourists. And along with that idea became dumb tourist attractions. And in the 1970s, the idea was to try to promote tourism in New York on an even larger scale. And the I Love New York slogan and logo became the basis of this advertising and marketing campaign. But the expression tourist trap came about at about this time. And I love a quotation that I saw on the internet that describes what is actively meant by the words tourist trap. Uh, one of these guys defines a tourist trap as a site that is active and is meant to draw money from tourists. And these destinations draw tourists in at all costs, offer no cultural value and appeal to primitive tastes. A tourist trap is the complete opposite of culture tourism, and it's only intended to draw money from visitors. So steadily and surely, New York City was designed to become a city where people would have their money taken away from them. But it's very difficult to notice that this happens under the veil of the world's most powerful tourist brand, New York City. 
Now, as I know, if you want to go and visit a lot of these tourist traps or tourist sites these days, you can spend hours standing in line and you get hustled every step of the way from the airport to the double-decker buses. And as I said at the beginning, visitors are spending billions on lodging, billions on food and beverage, 13 billion on transportation and local transportation, 13 billion on retail shopping and gasoline stations, 7 billion on recreational activities. And so for the city, it's an amazing tax revenue. Looking at the tourist economic report, without tourism, the city's unemployment would have gone from 4% to 12%. And so with the history of tourism behind us, I just wanted to finish the podcast by talking about my recent trip to New York City and some of the scams that I saw. Some of the scams that I've seen have been going on for many years, but I really believe that this is a very useful thing to discuss just in case you consider to visit. I loved going to Times Square and it has a bad reputation, but I didn't find it that bad and my family loved it because you don't see anything quite as alive and vibrant as that anywhere else in the world. But it's a home for a lot of the scammers and one of the most famous scams is the fake monk scam. And this is where you see a fake monk who walks up to you and he puts a bracelet on your wrist and he tries to get a donation for you for a Buddhist temple or something. And I bet you anything that Buddhist temple doesn't even exist. And he probably bought that uh, wristband from a little junk shop around the corner. But if you sort of engage with this fake monk and you refuse to pay, you're going to get into a big argument. Then there are what are called, or my son calls, the CD guys. Uh, and this was so bad in Times Square that they start, started putting up notices to warn, warn people about it. It's basically people, kind of hip-hop artists, they're standing there and they try to give you a CD mixtape of all the stuff that they're doing. Um, and some of them will even uh, offer to autograph it for you. They put a lot of pressure on you then for a donation. And if you try to hand the CD back, um, they keep talking to you. They try to make a big fuss. But the best thing to do is to keep walking. Don't make eye contact at all and get out of their way. You'll see a lot of street performers, and uh, my family definitely wanted to watch these guys. They were doing some amazing aerial jumping acts, and they were pumping up the crowd, and it was all fun, and you just watch these people, and they eventually start asking members of the public to join in, which I think is usually the big problem, because you know maybe 10 or 20 fathers want to look good in front of their kids, and they will get joining in, and they want photographs to be taken of them. Uh, I heard there were horrible stories such as these guys coming up to the fathers saying, you know, give me 20 bucks. Otherwise, when we do jump over your head, we might miss. And of course, nobody wants to have their head knocked off or even look rather embarrassed on a video that will be shown around the world by their family. Uh, you see a lot of people dressed up as Superman or Spider-Man or Mickey Mouse or Elmo or SpongeBob. Watch out for those guys because none of them are legitimate. None of them are actually paying any royalties to the people that they're copying. And they will always wander up to your children and they will sort of want to be posing with your children. And of course, the kids are kids and they'll want to have photographs next to these guys. And before you know it, they're getting extremely upset that you're filming them or they'll want to tip because of the photograph. And it can get extremely uh, unpleasant. 
Then there's the New York City hotel resort fees. You've got to look out for this in hotels. I think it started off in Las Vegas. It was where you would suddenly find on your bill when you checked out of the hotel what was called a resort fee. Uh, and this is a crazy thing where people just try to get away with charging an extra amount for nothing, usually things that are free anyway, such as Wi-Fi or, or the use of the fitness center. Like all cities, you have to be very, very careful about the ATM scams. You'll find that people will be watching you and they will drop cash next to you. And as you lean down to pick up some cash, quickly as you, as you can imagine, they've switched out the card that you put in the machine or are about to put in the machine and with a dummy card and they're taking off with your card. You can also suffer the candy selling scam and this is where some teens will come up to you ostensibly selling candy. Uh, and if you have cash, you can just buy it. But if you don't have cash, they say they, they're fine. They can accept some form of payment system, such as Venmo or Zelpay. And, and instead of you putting in their phone, they will ask for your phone. And when they get hold of your phone, you can be sure that they're going to be putting in um, all sorts of stuff that's going to make you lose thousands of dollars coming out of your account. So, you know, again, never hand your phone to anyone. They're so good and so quick. One of the things I don't really like are these hop-on and hop-off buses. I also don't like these New York passes that they try to sell. All of these things are all time-limited. So from the minute you uh, start using your New York pass that you paid a lot of money for, it's timing you, and you have usually three days to use that pass. It means you have to have an extremely stressful one-day, two-day, or three-day time in order to get to as many attractions as possible in order to make your pass worthwhile. And these New York passes do very little for you apart from just allow you to pay up front for the attractions. Uh, they sort of imply that you're not going to have to wait, but you do have to wait. And in most cases, you actually have to buy the ticket when you're there, even though uh, you only have to scan it with your, your phone and it's got a barcode. Uh, and yeah, and you get no refunds at all if there's bad weather or the, the venue you've gone to won't take your pass. I mean, I, I've read that some people who wanted to rent bicycles in New York get to Central Park and then they find that all the bike operators don't accept the New York pass. And these hop-on, hop-off buses, you'll get somebody who's trying to sell you to, to go on those buses. But you've got to be really, really careful because quite often they stop working at about 5.30 and it's going to take you a minimum of an hour to go and see anything on these buses. So you've got to be very careful about being ripped off when you're buying these tickets. Certainly not exclusive to New York are these pedicab um, we have them here in Cologne, in London. I'm sure you have them in every city in the world. But I think they actually started off in, in Manhattan. And you've got to be so careful. I mean, they charge you sometimes as much as eight bucks a minute. And so if you're actually going to use that for 20 or 30 minutes, you're basically paying hundreds of dollars. Now, a trip to New York very often is not complete unless you've seen a Broadway show. But again, this is a classic way to make money off people. If you go to the original website and you see the price for a New York show, um, you might see something for 40 or $50 a ticket. But then you go to these discount websites. Be careful because it's suddenly $100. Or you get people who come up to you in the street saying, you know, they've got um, a ticket to see the very latest 
Broadway show or a Broadway show that is very hard to get into, and you end up buying a ticket off these guys. But once you get to the theatre, they won't let you in because it's probably a fake ticket, and they'll scan it, and it's illegal. You have to watch out for street food scams. I mean, yes, you get these vendors selling everything from pretzels, ice creams, hot dogs. You know, I had the problem too. We the kids saw an ice cream, and they wanted the ice cream, and. We ended up paying ten dollars for one scoop of ice cream times two, of course, since I have twins. One of the first things I saw, and luckily I didn't fall for, was landing at JFK Airport, and that was the taxi scam. You know, there were a bunch of people just coming up to you, almost as as you'd got you'd come out of immigration,、uh, asking if you needed to have a taxi to Manhattan. Got to be really careful about that because most of them are not、uh, livery cab drivers. They rip you off the second you get into their cab.、Uh, they even have signs saying they work for Uber, but they can't be Uber because Uber you have to call, and they will rip you off. They'll take you in and they'll charge you hundreds. The same thing happens outside Penn Station or Grand Central Station. People will be coming up to you asking you that they can help you with your luggage. Well, nobody's going to help you for anything in New York without a tip. Remember that. Walking along a road, you might see the drop scam, where somebody is going to walk up to you and they're carrying、uh, French fries or their lunch or a,、uh, a bottle of something, and they'll drop it straight in front of you,、uh, and then they'll scramble to sort of pick it up, and then they'll blame you for dropping it, and they'll engage in a, a long argument with you until you give them some money. But you know it's not you because they'll just go around the corner and try it with another guy. Everybody wants to see Staten Island and they want to see the Statue of Liberty, but you've got to be really careful because something that everybody wants to do means you're going to get the scammers. And we went down there and we kind of knew that、um, there were going to be scammers, but they were very aggressive and they were trying to、uh, direct us towards their boats and they were very very、uh, rude and unpleasant. Uh, but really, you know what? Just be careful because some of these don't even take you to to、uh, the Statue of Liberty. I, I read that some of them could actually take you to Jersey, and you can sort of look at a long distance version of the Statue of Liberty. Really, the the very very best way is to take the Staten Island ferry, which is completely free, and it takes you right past the Statue of Liberty, and you have a wonderful view that you can see. But again, you've got to be careful because people now are even trying to sell you Staten Island ferry tickets, which, as I said, are free. Yes, you want to see the wonderful New York skyline, and there are so many opportunities. There must be at least ten places where you can go hundreds of feet into the air now and see Manhattan in all its glory. Um, from the 80th to the hundredth floor,、uh, seeing it, see it at night, see it during the day. Well, I had heard that the Empire State Building had become a bit of a tourist trap.、Uh, I know they charge anything from 40 to 48 dollars to go up to about the 80th floor.、Um, so I avoided that, and I wanted to see something a little bit better. And I decided to go to the edge in the Hudson Yards. Um, now I wouldn't flatly come out and say that that was a tourist ripoff, but it did cost us, I think, nearly fifty or over fifty dollars per person, and that was four of us, a family of four, and it is spectacular up there, without any doubt. But do you really have to pay fifty dollars to go and see a view? Now I have to mention this because my wife will never forgive me if I don't.
the kids were just begging us to go and see something called the Ice Cream Museum. The Ice Cream Museum, like so many things now, is touted on TikTok. And all the influencers are showing you this wonderful experience where you get ice cream at the Ice Cream Museum in New York. And since we were there... Um, we felt we had to do it. In fact, our two 12-year-old daughters had heard about the ice cream museum before we even got to Manhattan. Well, I managed to get a day off because <laughs> I certainly didn't want to go and see it. And the three of them um, went from our house in Halsey Street down to Manhattan and spent a few hours at the ice cream museum. Well, my wife came back and she told me that not only did she complain to the people there, she went immediately online and wrote a bad review. Why? Well, there's nothing museum about it, she said. There was nothing about the history of ice cream. There were no s sort of examples of equipment or anything that would indicate the history of ice cream making process. It was just basically a very large play area, a bit like an Ikea play area. And there wasn't much ice cream either. There were a few sort of fridges where you could go in and help yourself to a few scoops of ice cream. But nothing... Nothing that would justify, I believe, a ticket price in excess of $50 per person. If you just look at the Ice Cream Museum's website, and I'm just looking at Saturday, October the 28th, if you want to visit it at 2 p.m., it's going to cost you $50. <laughs> I mean, really. So this week, the final word goes to Molly Gambier. She's of a site called Wyon. This has to be the funniest piece of investigative journalism I've heard about New York in a long time. And if this doesn't want to make you want to be a tourist and visit the Big Apple, then nothing will. You must have heard of America's gun problem. Also, it's drug problem. But have you heard of America's rat problem? Now, there was a time when people visited New York to see the Statue of Liberty, to visit the Times Square. But now, tourists are flocking to the Big Apple to see rats. You heard that right. The hordes of rats that infest the streets of New York City are now a tourist attraction and tour guides are making the most of it. They are tailoring excursions to notoriously infested sites in New York. Take the Empire State Building, Central Park, Columbus Park. Rockefeller Center. Almost every star attraction in New York is swarmed with rats. As commuters walk around in the subway, they have rats running across their feet. For New Yorkers, this is the norm. But for visitors, it is absolutely bizarre. And now tourists are seeking authentic rat experience. You heard that right. And so they end up taking late night tours just to go see rats. 